Hello and welcome to a special edition of Bully Banter. I'm Ben Portnoy. Alongside me, Garrick Hodge. Garrick, can you smell the peanuts? No. No? I, I mean, we're in the conference room in the dispatch office, so no, there is no peanuts here. <sighs> I tried some hyperbole. It didn't work. It's okay. That said, folks, it's baseball season, and we're uh, just a few out, about 24 hours out from the first pitch at Duty Noble Field. Uh, coming up Friday at now one two p.m. one p.m. one p.m. One PM. softball softball at two today. one p.m. Uh, against Wright State the Bulldogs will open their twenty twenty season but we've got a special edition of uh, bully banter for you all today going to do a little bit of a preview of the upcoming baseball season kind of what to expect from the Diamond Dogs and uh, coming off of their trip to Omaha but uh. First off, let's just uh, jump into a little bit of uh, kind of what we expect from this roster. Garrick, I know uh, it's your first year with the with the dogs, but uh, what have you kind of learned, at least in your early going, and what are you kind of most excited for about this baseball season? Well, uh, I know that the top four hitters in the lineup are going to be very difficult to get out for opposing pitching staffs. Um, and speaking of pitching staffs, the dogs are anchored by one of the best in the SEC, JT Ginn. Um, he didn't even come in on the top four of SEC pitchers, according to like MLB uh, pipeline and all that stuff. But that's not a, a shot to JT Ginn. That's just a testament to how strong the arms are in the SEC, led by George's Hancock. And I think that JT Ginn has the potential to be a top 15 MLB draft pick this year. The guy's off-speed stuff and fastball are just out of this world. I know he had some um, shoulder, uh, you know, tweaks a little bit toward the end of last year, but it uh, seems like he's healthy and ready to go, and he will get the ball Friday on opening day, and I'm excited to watch him throw. And uh, obviously the reigning SEC freshman of the year, I'm kind of excited to see what he does in his sophomore year. Yeah, definitely. JT Ginn's a guy that we grew accustomed to. Uh, kind of, You knew what you were going to get from him in pretty much every start last year as a freshman. Obviously turned down the first-round draft pick money from the Dodgers to come to Mississippi State. It was a really big coup for that staff and uh, for Chris Limonis in his first year as the head coach at Mississippi State. But um, you know, coming in, JT Ginn looked the part of a first-round pick. I mean, stepped in right away. It was the number two starter behind Ethan Small, who subsequently was a first-round pick this past year. Uh and gave the dogs pretty much everything they needed out of that number two slot. Had an ERA just above three. It was eight and four. Uh, pitched really one of the more you know memorable games of the year in Omaha against Louisville. Just walked out onto the mound and really looked like a stud. Um, you know, in a position in an elimination game that you know State ultimately does lose, but to no fault of JT Ginn's. Uh, you mentioned the shoulder soreness. That's something that I don't want to call it a concern because you never really know. It's kind of uncertain. Uh, not you know, a lot was made of it last year. Whether it was something more severe, whether it was could you know, that's the kind of thing that not to speculate, but you can can end up becoming you know Tommy John and things like that. But uh, thankfully, JT Ginn is healthy and uh, is rearing to go. You know, talked to him at media day a couple of weeks ago and. He's firing to go. He's ready to go. Uh, you know, I know <laughs> talking to some of the coaches, Scott Foxhall, among others, the pitching coach, mentioned that, you know, the hardest thing for JT is with how competitive he is, trying to keep him, uh, keep him, you know, mellow and that he couldn't get out there and sort of overthrow uh, when he did, was finally able to get back on the mound after that soreness. Uh, 
was a tough thing with just how competitive a guy he is, but he's a guy that really will anchor this staff. Uh, Speaking of anchoring the staff, the staff is not just JT Ginn. They're going to need two more weekend starters to get them through, sure they will. through the season. You want to talk a little bit about those two guys, especially they're going to hand the ball to on the opening weekend series? Yeah, definitely. So kind of jumping off of JT Ginn, you know, you've got guys that – a lot of question marks, frankly. I mean, for as good as this Mississippi State roster is, I think the biggest question marks fall in the pitching staff. Uh, at number two, you're gonna have Christian McLeod, a redshirt freshman who uh, missed all of last year with some uh, with some health issues, the illness, not physical necessarily, uh, in terms of muscular, but uh, a guy who team coaches are really really high on. Uh, he's a guy that Chris Limonis has said is a first round type guy, um, big left hander, six foot four. I think Coach Fox Hall said he has about a three to four pitch mix. Uh, really can move the ball around the zone and and is expected to do big things. Um, I do like me some lefties. Yeah, no, and he's going to be the lone lefty in that at least opening uh, series rotation. Uh, the last guy who's going to be the number three going to pitch on Sunday is Eric Sarantola. This is a guy that to me I think is the most interesting. Christian McLeod's a guy that's really interesting just from based on the fact that we didn't see him last year, so you don't really know. But for me, Eric Sarantola is probably the the most intriguing pitcher I want to watch this year because he's a guy that stands anywhere from 6'4 to 6'6. I think he's about 6'6, uh, about 215 pounds. I mean, he's a huge guy, right-hander, comes way over top of the ball, has this long reach, former hockey player out of Canada. Uh, but has some serious heat. Uh, Crystal Mann was talking the other day, said that he's topped out at around 98 on the radar gun uh, in, in spring ball. So That's some blistered cheesage. Yeah, so he's got uh, he, he's a guy that can really bring the heat. Um, we saw he finished with a 3-0 record, and I know wins and losses aren't necessarily the most. Uh, You're most certainly right there. Yes, this is a this is a whole uh, other <laughs> this is a whole argument Don't for another day. Don't trigger me on a on a Wednesday, Ben. Yes, wins and losses are not necessarily a great way to determine who's a great pitcher. But uh, finished three and zero, but really struggled with strike uh, strike strike zone command last year. Um, we saw Sarantola pitch a lot of midweek games last year, kind of as a way to get his feet wet. Um, you know, it would go basically, you'd see a strikeout or two, and then all of a sudden it would blow up, he'd lose the zone, and then would be pulled after about an inning and a third. So, didn't pitch a ton of innings last year, but was a guy that found some rhythm. Uh, in the SEC tournament last year, he made some spot relief efforts, things like that, and he looked really good. So, he's a guy that, and it seems like the coaches have said this about every guy on the front end of that rotation, but is legitimately has first-round stuff, uh, especially velocity-wise. He's going to be another guy with kind of a three-pitch mix, and uh, it, it'll be really... Uh, it, He's a guy that, to me, has kind of the such a high ceiling just based on what we saw last year because, you know, you watch him go out there and just fan guys with ease and then, you know, he loses the location. But with another year, year of seasoning, played with the Canadian national team over the summer in addition up in uh, Amsterdam, New York, played a little bit of summer ball there before going down to uh, down to Peru to play with the Canadian national team. So he's a guy that really got some good, se- really nice seasoning over the, over the offseason, uh, has had some time to kind of adjust, adapt, adapt to the college game, and I think is one to, to kind of watch at least in this uh, in this early going. Now, let me let me ask you one more question about sure. the rotation. So a lot of times the uh, we'll, we'll call them the less depth-induced SEC teams. Um, when it comes to weekend series, usually throw their ace out on Friday, of course, mm-hmm. and then they'll throw their number two out on Saturday. And uh, sometimes other SEC teams won't have a set number three, so b- Sunday will be what a lot of teams call bullpen day. And they'll throw a lot of you know bullpen pitchers out there. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not counting the midweek games where they play like, 
you know, a a Belmont or a Liberty or some team, you know, that there's just supposed to score 14 runs against mm-hmm. and they usually throw a freshman at. I'm not count asking that in this equation. What I am asking is, is that do you think these three opening day hurlers are set in their rotation long term or do you think that they might tinker with it if, let's say, the Sunday starter falters a little bit? Um, I think it's a mix. I mean, I think that, you know, JT is definitely locked in as the number one guy. And based on what we saw last year, you have every reason to believe he should be as good or better than he was last year and should be a pretty natural progression from Ethan Small. I mean, Ethan Small, you watched him and you expected to win every single game he pitched. I mean, he was that good. His command was incredible. Uh, And you'll see a lot of the same things from JT again, though maybe with a little bit more velocity. Um, on the flip side of that, you know, like like I kind of said, Christian McLeod and Eric Santola are, are, are guys that are kind of mysteries. Um, you don't really know what you're going to get out of those guys. But you got you had a little bit of this last year. You know, your number your number two guy was JT, and you expected JT to be a great pitcher. It was a first round pick for a reason. But he's still a freshman and is coming in and still adjusting to the college game. Pitched great and was phenomenal. The same thing could be said for that number three role. Um, you had a number of guys that kind of pitched in that role early in the season. Uh, Excuse me. Whether it was Keegan James, uh, uh, Peyton Plumley ultimately became the guy who took it over. But it took probably half the season for Peyton Plumley to really find firmly establish himself as that number three starter. So I expect them to probably tinker with that third starter role a little bit. There's some guys on this roster that can do some really good things. Uh, among them, there's a couple of uh, excuse me. Uh, States brought in some JUCO guys, whether it's Jackson Forrester or others uh, that can kind of step in right away. There's also some some uh, graduate transfers in Carlisle Costler and David Dunlavy. Uh, Dunlavy from Furman and Costler from Southeast Louisiana um, are both guys that have seen a lot of college baseball. Uh, talked to both those guys uh, this <laughs> the past uh, at Media Day and are both really itching to get going and are both guys who have started a lot of games at the college level. So, you know, those are some guys that you'll probably see played around with in that number three role if, say, Sarantola doesn't necessarily or is off a day or misses his command or that, you know, State might be able to play around with some of these series and some of these midweek games. So, um, you know, Chris Limonis did say that, you know, the pitching staff is kind of a work in progress. That's definitely the biggest question mark. Um, I think you'll see that mostly with the bullpen, frankly, um, with what State lost last year. Uh, and this is kind of shifting into into the bullpen, but uh, you know you lose a guy like Cole Gordon, who was your pretty your go to closer every night of the week, and uh, you know you don't necessarily have a perfect solution there. Uh, Riley Self and Spencer Price are pretty much the only two returners who are experienced in that. Spencer Price has been really hit or miss uh, in his time at State. Uh, Riley Self is a guy who has some serious velocity, has had some injury issues, shoulder issues. Uh, and hasn't necessarily stayed healthy, but is a guy that I that got called on pretty frequently last year and pitched some good, showed some really good stuff, pitched some good innings, um, had a little bit of a wrist issue that that didn't help things on his non throwing arm, um, but is a guy that probably could slide into that closer role, assuming he takes the steps forward that need to be taken. Um, but in addition to that, you got some other guys. Landon Sims is a guy that Crystal Monos mentioned the other day, uh, coming Georgia. Shout out uh, Nick Suss, hometown of Nick Suss, our, our buddy up in Oxford. But uh, Landon Sims is a guy who pitches, who's topped out at 98 miles an hour that, uh, on the radar gun. Will Bednar, Bednar is another one, uh, right-hander. Both of those guys, 6'2", about 220 pounds, give or take. Bednar is closer to 230. But um, those are some guys that probably you'll see out of the bullpen too. So I, I think... 
in a long-winded answer to, to your question, I think that you'll see a lot of those guys in the mix in the bullpen and probably will get some uh, opportunities to start, especially using those midweek games. And then the number three starter role, if Sarantola doesn't hold it down, has some control issues like we saw last year, you'll probably see some guys like a Costler, like a Dunleavy, uh, slide into those positions and maybe give them a little bit more, uh, give State a little bit more, uh, a few more options, at least there on the number three role. So what do you make of this lineup that the Diamond Dogs are going to roll out? Yeah, (laughs) as much as the pitching is a question mark, the the actual batting order is pretty much far from that. Uh, You bring back a core contingent of of juniors in Jordan Westberg, Justin Foscue, Tanner Allen, Josh Hatcher, and uh, Rowdy Jordan. That makes up half your lineup right there. Uh, (laughs) Speaking at a a Rotary Club meeting the other day, Chris Simonis mentioned that uh, those guys are going to bat one through five pretty much. Uh, Hatcher might be moved around a little bit, but um, those guys are all guys who hit over 300 last year. Uh, Rowdy Jordan was down, hit around 320 after starting the year, hitting about, I think he dropped at one point to as low as .67. Really figured things out down the stretch. Jordan Westberg's a guy who saw, had some issues at the end, tail end of the season, uh, went out to the Cape Cod League and was one of the, was a Cape Cod League all-star, pitched really well out there, or excuse me, pitched, hit really well out there, hit well over 300, uh, was actually under the tutelage of former uh, Mississippi State head coach Ron Polk out on the Cape, mm. interestingly enough. little little nugget for y'all there, but... Uh, yeah, Westberg went out, tore it up in the Cape, and is a projected first-round pick come uh, come uh, the MLB first-year player draft. Uh, Justin Foskey is another guy who could probably find himself in the mix there. Um, of those guys, you're going to get a lot of pop. you got a lot of gap-to-gap uh, power and ability. Tanner Allen's a guy that I think is um, doesn't necessarily have the same kind of pop that Westberg and Foskey has, but will probably hit somewhere between 7 and 10 home runs. Uh, you're going to see a lot of doubles hit I think 25 doubles last year, give or take, uh, hit well over 300, and is a guy that that can really suit himself into that number two, three role. Uh, Rowdy Jordan's probably the one that I think is the most, uh, is I don't want to call it a question mark because I think that's not fair. I think Rowdy proved that he can hit in the SEC, hit over 300 last year, obviously. But is a guy that is stepping into the leadoff role. Uh, he hit more in the six hole last year, and that was partially just because of the lineup and how it, how it shook out. But is a guy that is stepping into the number the number one spot. Obviously, Jake Mangum occupied that for the last four years and uh, led the SEC and is now the SEC's all-time hits leader. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. You're definitely going to see. I, I think it's interesting, though, because I think that for as good as Jake was, and, you know, this is no knock on Jake. He's a phenomenal player, and you lose a lot of the leadership that you, that you had in him and Elijah McNamee and others. But um, when you look at the actual averages, Jake hit somewhere around 350. I think he was it came out at 358, uh, if I have the number right, last year. And Rowdy's a guy that hit 321. Is probably a little bit more patient at the plate. Has a little bit more pop than Jake. Um, you know, is a little bit more, like I said, a little bit more patient. So I think that numerically, and I guess you know, this this makes me think of kind of those money ball numbers that you know, on the, on paper you think how are you going to replace Jake Mangum, you know, the person, but. At the same time, when you look at the numbers, Rowdy's numbers weren't that far off from Mangum's. Um, yes, there's the leadership factor. Yes, is the all-time hits leader in the SEC. Of course, there's those kinds of things. But the reality is that when the when you come down to the numbers to it, Rowdy can come somewhere close to what Jake did in the late leadoff spot, even if it's a slight step down. Um, you know, he's a guy that has proven that he can hit at the SEC level, and I think you're going to see that this year. 
The rest of the lineup is <laughs> a lot of question marks. Um, it, it's kind of unclear. The one guy that I think that we can say pretty without fail um, that will be in the sort of in the bottom of that lineup that could give Mississippi State a really added uh, an added bat uh, is uh, Brandon Pimentel out of Howard College in uh, in Texas. He's a guy that tore it up in junior college ball last year. Hit well over four. Hit over four fifty last year. Hit seven. Had seventy RBIs. Uh, a number of home runs. I mean, he's a guy that really has some pop. He, uh, coaches have been really high on Pimentel this year. He's a true sophomore. Came out of junior college after after his freshman year. You don't see that a ton. Um, this is a guy that really, really, really could give State some pop in the bottom of that lineup. Um, you know, you don't know it till you see it on the field. But six three two ten. He's got the frame. Uh, <laughs> Lamonas compared him a little bit to kind of the comparable frame to what Jordan Westbrook's got. Um, and so the, that's a guy that I think will will show some interesting stuff. And he's slated to start in left field to start the season. Um, another guy kind of in that vein, Luke Hancock. He's going to take over the catching duties uh, with Dustin Skelton off to the MLB. Um, Skelton's obviously a guy that pretty much came out of nowhere. Didn't have a great sophomore year. Was all right, you know, kind of traded catching duties with Marshall Gilbert and others, um, but really took things over. Hit hit in the three fifteen to three twenty range last year, uh, and had an awesome offensive year. And you don't don't get a lot of pop like that from catchers in college baseball. So, um, you know, taking over Dustin Skelton, Luke Hancock's a guy that last year. I, I think the two guys that on this roster, and I think it applies here now that I'm sort of racing through this thoughts, but Luke Hancock and Josh Hatcher are guys that both played really reserved roles last year. Uh, you know, Foscue, Westberg, Rowdy, Tanner are all guys that were starters last year. Hatcher and Hancock were both really reserved to mostly mop up duty, played some spot roles, some pinch hits here and there. Hatcher played a little bit more down the stretch than Luke Hancock did as, as a year older than him, but um, they're both guys that had some big hits and big moments. Hancock was a really reliable pinch hitter down the stretch. Uh, hit the ball pretty well. Played well over the summer, um, and I think is a guy that could come out and really swing the bat well. Um, they're kind of the two. They're kind of the two guys that I think are are proven commodities, but not quite to the degree that some of those other guys are. You know, you know what you're going to get. I think Luke Hancock defensively is a great catcher. Something worth noting. He's been catching JT Ginn since the two of them were about 12 years old. Uh, that helps. Yeah. So the, there's going to be a lot of chemistry there. You expect him to pretty much hold down the fort at catcher. Um, Logan Tanner's a guy behind him who who probably expects to get some. Uh, will get some reps at catcher as well as a freshman. But. Um, Hancock and Hatcher are both guys who I think will big, take big steps forward. Hatcher's a guy that coaches are high on at first base. He's going to take over at first. Tanner will shift into right field. Um, and, and coaches kind of think that Hatcher's a better fit at first base than maybe Tanner was. So you probably get a little bit better defensively there. So with Hancock and Hatcher in the lineup, you're really only looking at having to fill two, three spots, especially with you, when you look at Pimentel in there. So you'll probably see some a mix of things. Uh, DH, Coach Lamone has said, is going to be a kind of a mix of things. You're going to see a lot of different names. Uh, same with kind of third base. Third base is going to be kind of a platoon. Cameron James, Landon Jordan are guys that uh, could be expected to take some to take some uh Take some time there. Landon Jordan's another guy who kind of in the same vein as Hancock got some pinch hits and and showed some pretty good stuff. I think is a guy who can really swing the bat uh, and is a guy who could really take a step forward. Cameron James, the younger brother of Keegan James, uh, who we mentioned earlier in the show. So this is a team that I think the pieces are all there, and I think you're going to see it very quickly that, you know, 
there were a lot of question marks coming into last season. A lot of it had to do with the bullpen. A lot of it had to do with production. But State answered them. And yes, it's a different year. This is Crystal Monis's. You know, he was able to go through the recruiting cycle, recruit some guys. And I know baseball it tends to be trends earlier and earlier these days. But still, a lot of these guys are guys that Crystal Monis was able to recruit uh, in some capacity. So I, I think that you'll see more of a stamp on what he brings to the table as a coach in his second year. But I think that, you know, like I said, a lot of these are the same question marks we had coming into last season. So um, I, I think this is a team that can answer those early. Got some big series early in the in the non-conference against Oregon State and Texas Tech, both perennial top 10 teams. So you're going to see Mississippi State tested early, but I think that you're going to get a really good read on what, where this team is at heading into SEC play just because of what they've got in the non-conference. Speaking of SEC, we'll wrap it up with uh, some finishing thoughts and give you the projections. So SEC coaches picked it. Picked it. Wow. <laughs> it's one this of those days. Okay. when I'm not caffeinated. Well, and it's crappy weather out, too. It's just like it's just one of those days, I feel like. Um, picked, that's what I meant to say, Mississippi State to finish second in the SEC West. Uh, they gave them four first-place votes. Uh, Arkansas is projected to finish first with five first-place votes. And then below Mississippi State in a tie for third place is Auburn and LSU. Auburn got two first place votes and LSU got three. So what do you make of the standings of the West and what is your projected order of finish, Benjamin Portnoy? Yeah, God. I mean, when you look at the SEC West, I mean, people talk about the SEC West in football. I think it's even more of an issue in baseball. Uh, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss are all top 25 teams at the moment. The only team not in the top 25 in the West right now is Alabama, and that's an Alabama team that's taken some steps forward and was young last year and is at least trending in the right direction. Wow, Alabama picked last in something. I know, crazy, right? Not, Not a baseball school. Not a baseball school. Apparently not. They are a softball school, though. Big softball school. Great team. Number one in the country right now, right? Yeah, um, they lost a lot in their opening weekend somehow, but I digress. Yes. Um, but no, the SEC West is really tough. I think that I think it's probably fair to pick State 2 behind Arkansas. Um, I, I, I'm going to kind of stick with it and go chalk here and say that uh, I think Auburn might take a step back from last year's team, lost some important pieces from that run to Omaha. Um, I'm going to pick LSU 2, uh, excuse me, 3rd in the West, uh, Auburn Fourth, A and M fifth, Ole Miss sixth, Alabama seventh. Um, so not so pretty much the same same lineup. But I, I think that State really does have the potential to make another run to Omaha. I would be, to be perfectly honest, frankly, I'd be shocked if State doesn't get to a super regional this year. Um, I think the talents there. I think that especially when you look at it, and I think I wrote this pretty much right after uh, State lost to Omaha was that in Omaha last year when I got back is that when you looked at the construct of the roster just right off the bat. When and with what state would lose from last year's team, you brought back the bulk of last year's team. Um, you lost some guys, you know, you lose the leadership of Jake Manga, McCole Gordon, uh, uh, and Elijah McNamee, but those are guys that, at least production wise, are, are at least in some capacity replaceable. And I think that you're going to see that this year. You bring back the major core of that and those that junior class uh, of Hatcher, Foskey, Allen, uh, <laughs> uh, Rowdy Jordan, and uh, Jordan Westberg. So with that, and you throw in guys like a Luke Hancock, Landon Jordan, guys who played some, got some time last year. This is a more experienced team than I think people are giving it credit for, and I think that because of that, this is a team that I, I really would feel fairly confident saying makes it. I, I feel very confident saying this team makes it to a super regional, and whether it gets beyond that is kind of a matchup dependent. But um, 
If things can shake out on the pitching front, I think this is an Omaha team. All right. Well, there you have it. Opening day Friday at 1 p.m. now. 1 p.m. Which uh, is irking the fans and pleasing the journalists once again. <laughs> but uh, any any other final thoughts about uh, this baseball team heading into opening series weekend, Ben? No, I'm excited. I think this is a team that really is uh, really has a lot of potential. Obviously, like I said, has some question marks, but uh, it's going to be a really fun year at the Dude. Really excited for my second year covering the team, and uh, Garrick excited to as a baseball guy. I know I'm sure you're excited to get out there for for your first go at this team. And uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you all again for listening, and uh, we'll have plenty more for you guys throughout the spring on the baseball front. And uh, as always, we'll catch you next week.